Welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. I am your host, Bailey Day. I want to start off this episode by just telling you a little bit about this podcast and what you can expect to hear today and in future episodes. So Spotlight is a business podcast telling the stories of successful corporate professionals. Every month, I will be putting the spotlight on people at our company and beyond to find out how they have effectively launched their careers, grown within a well-known company during an ever-changing world, and overcome all obstacles, both professionally and personally. Triplet has been around for almost 100 years and has had to make business-changing decisions throughout those times, including launches of so many different product lines. So join the guests and I monthly to hear all of the unique and different stories that we will be sharing with you. I'm so excited for this podcast journey, and I hope you are as well. So today we are going to start off this podcast with none other than Triplet's Executive Vice President, Keelan Wyman. Keelan has been with Triplet since the start of his career and has many stories to tell. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello, Keelan. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of the Spotlight Podcast today. We're so happy to have you here. Hello, Bailey. It's nice to be here. So, Keelan, I just want to start off this episode by just asking you about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been with Triplight? Uh, I am currently 65 years old. I started right out of school at 23 years old and uh, as the office manager. And I wasn't qualified for that, but I made my way through it and I tried to equip myself well. So you started this company as a 23-year-old as an office manager. What was that like? Were you managing a team? Well, there was a team of about 12 young people, most of them uh, young women. And uh, I like to think it was children teaching children. We were sort of making our way through. Um, I was hired by uh, Mike Brennan, who's uh, the COO currently. uh, And he took a chance on me. I can tell you that in, in the interview process, Mike uh, was uh, thinking positively about me, and Barry, the owner, was going, well, not so much. Uh, So I had to kind of win him over. Uh, He wasn't sure that I was the man for the job, but turned out it worked worked out okay. He he came around. (laughs) It seems like it really did work out for you. So can you give us a little bit about the origin of the Triplight name, how Triplight was founded, a little bit of the history of the company? Well, the company was founded in 1922 by uh, Mr. Graham Tripp, a Chicagoan, an inventor, kind of a uh, kind of an eccentric fella. Uh, he had different ideas, and he ran with them. Um, they uh, he developed a, a patent for uh, high beam headlights, uh, optics that would allow uh, illumination of a highway in front of a car without blinding the driver in an oncoming vehicle. Those things were not available back in those days. Today, um, cars come equipped with high beams and low beams, and and the user can just pick between them. But at that time, there was no such thing. So if you wanted to have a way to illuminate the highway down in front of you for high-speed driving, uh, you'd have to buy an accessory. And in this case, the the speed light was patented in the 20s. Uh, Mr. Tripp won some awards with it, and it was... It was a successful product that really drove the company uh, right up until World War II. Okay, so that was Triplight's first product. How long were those products the sole income for Triplight before they started developing into new product categories? Uh, I would say it was solidly 20 years uh, leading up to World War II. As the build-up to World War II, the biggest customer we had as uh, was as was the biggest customer most companies had was the U.S. government. 
we, we built uh, speed lights for tanks, and they were deployed in North Africa and other places in the, in the European theater. Uh, and it was, it was successful for us and drove a lot of our business and allowed us coming out of the war to have sort of a growth jump-off point. Uh, and it was, it was a good product for us for many years. So as an employee of Triplight now, I know that we are in a completely different space from where we originally started. So how did Triplight go from those first products to launching into all of these different new product categories? How did that even start? Well, in, in the 60s, selling uh, rotating warning lights, let me back that up a little bit. Coming out of World War II, as the headlight business faded, we moved into the production of strobes and warning lights, uh, rotating warning lights of all different sizes and colors, and that was a pretty solid business for us. In the early 60s, we found the ambulance market, which was a good market for us for rotating lights, began to... Uh, we found a need for onboard AC power for uh, defibrillators and, and other sorts of uh, plug-in devices in a mobile uh, vehicle. Um, so we created a DC to AC inverter, and this is a product that takes battery power, like a car battery, and converts it into house current uh, to power all manner of things. Uh, in selling the, those products uh, into the ambulance market, we, it, it sort of created an awareness that there exists mobile AC possibilities. Um, so we, we began to sell them, and for a while we were the largest manufacturer of small portable inverters in the world. It wasn't a huge market, but we were dominant at that time. Um, later, as we got into the 80s, early 80s, we, uh, we were getting requests from customers who were asking us how to take an inverter, which takes battery to house current, and hook it up to a battery charger and a transfer switch to create a, a switchover mechanism, uh, a battery backup system. And we thought about this and realized we could make these ourselves. So our engineers got to work and created an, an all-enclosed inverter uh, battery charger system with a transfer switch so that when the power went out, it would automatically switch to battery power and continue to hold up the load. It was an interesting product, and we were having some minor success with it in various applications. This would have been right around uh, 1980. At the same time, um, as we had always looked for small manufacturing companies to acquire and, and try and increase our growth through acquisition, uh, we found a company in Canada called GSC who made a line of uh, power supplies that we felt was a good addition to our power line. Uh, at that time, we, the company was near bankruptcy. We bought it out of bankruptcy in 1982, and uh, I was charged to go up to Montreal and upstate New York, where they had a couple of locations, um, hire back the people who had worked for GSC, the locals, build out the inventory of their existing uh, raw materials in their warehouse, and ship the finished goods back to Triplight. Uh, I was 27. I didn't know anything about doing that. Uh, I, they told me I needed to bring someone to help me. So I took uh, an employee at the time who was uh, my wife currently. And <laughs> the two of us went up there. We just kind of made our way, hired back these people, built out the product, sent it back to Chicago. It was all done in a flurry. It was very exciting for a young person who didn't know much else. And uh, 
we found ourselves then, we had this, this company GSC made power supplies, but when we got to their warehouse, we saw the assembly of these things called surge protectors. We didn't know what they were. We'd never seen them before. No one was buying them. But when we build them out, they made a product called the Isobar, which is a really high-end surge protector. We now found ourselves with battery backup systems for small UPSs, surge protectors, which could power any or protect any manner of equipment in an office. At the same time, IBM had introduced the IBM PC in 1981. So now we found this nascent business of, of the uh, U.S. Uh, small desktop computer business and here we had these this collection of products ideally suited to support uh, personal computers well that so we sort of uh, by sheer happenstance we found ourselves in the PC business quickly there there was created a channel for these products it started out with computer store chains like Computerland and Entree Computers and so forth and we began to solicit those people for our products and it was quite successful over time there was created a distribu distribution network to service these dealers and resellers, and we managed to get our products accepted at places like Ingram Micro and, and Tech Data. Uh, and that was really the start of our channel pull-through for PC-related products and, and really put us in the business of being a support for the PC business. It was highly successful for us. Important to note that it was sort of serendipitous. It was not planned. It was not a brilliant strategy at that time. It was just trying to do the best with the uh, facts we had at our disposal and the talent we had in the building, and it, it just came together very nicely. So we were fortunate, but I, I like to think that we capitalized on the opportunity in a way that uh, paid dividends for many years. So you say all of this was a little fortunate for Triplight to grow the business during these times. Was this all a smooth transition? Were there any huge issues that were faced? Oh, it was lots and lots. For most of it, it we had no uh, no game plan, no roadmap. It was facing the challenge and the obstacle as a one-off each time, noodling what was the best approach, how to attack, how to um, maximize our endeavor, and... Uh, just, you know, do more of the good and do less of the bad. As an example, uh, we early on decided that the leverage that the reseller channel in the, in the computer business could, could give us would magnify our ability to reach the end user customer many times over. Other companies decided, no, I'm going to go to the end user and explain why my widget is better than their widget, and that's an approach. It's not the one we favored. We early on aligned ourselves with the reseller channel and we pride ourselves on having remained a channel-friendly and channel-centric business to this day. Right now, I think the computer distribution channel, two-step distribution, DISTI to uh, reseller, is as efficient uh, a delivery mechanism as there exists in the world, in any industry. Uh, and now, that we recognize the ability to leverage that reach early on, good for us. But again, there was a certain amount of fortuitousness in that decision. It just worked out well. We picked the right horse to ride. Uh, many of our competitors who went direct to the customer are no longer with us. Um, we, on the other hand, took this expertise that the channel offers us, or I'll say combination of expertise and reach, and leveraged it highly, uh, much to our success. So it's it, it didn't was not smooth. It was not direct. It was not a brilliant vision. It was really just the most logical option, in our opinion, at the time. And, and we were right. So it, it worked out for us. 
So as you were mentioning before, you started at this company right out of college. And as an employee, you got to see the company completely change their basics and the direction that they were going. Can you speak a little bit on what that was like? Well, uh, it's it's exciting and it's interesting and it's rarely boring, I will tell you that. Uh, but let me give you an example of a, of a, a big change that's happened about 20 years ago. We were now fully immersed in the in the power business for the for the computer. Uh, there was lots of ancillary products around power delivery. We had software developed for servers and uh, and, and alliances with people like uh, Cisco and and Microsoft. But and that was going along and it was quite lucrative. At the same time, we looked at the reseller channel and said, "What more can we do to leverage the tremendous reach and execution of these channel resellers?" So. We looked around and said, you know, connectivity is a big space. We see occasional competitors of ours offering products, cables basically at the time, uh, into this channel. We thought, well, well, I was a big proponent of this. I thought this was a great idea. Uh, we struggled with it, very, very honestly. And the reason we struggled is not because the technology was beyond us. In fact, it was fairly straightforward from our engineering perspective. But what we found is that the entire culture of our sales force internally and our reseller sales force externally was so different. Here you had a, a, a mindset that said, I sell this UPS box for $300 and that's what I do. And if I can sell 10 of them, that's $3,000 a sale and that's how my mindset works. Now here comes cables and they cost $2.85 each. The, the Trying to get across to our own salespeople and the channel salespeople that it's low ticket high volume as opposed to high ticket low volume it really it seems straightforward you could explain it rationally you could you could challenge the the sales entities to go out and do the difference but but in their mind they just couldn't get their arms around it it wasn't what the, why would I want to sell these three dollar things I, and I would say no you, you sell a thousand of them <laughs> that's how it works and it took a long time. And, and I think the biggest challenge was in the building. Our own people just were like, this isn't what we do. I'm not, I'm not going to make any money selling $2 cables. And they were wrong. Uh, we've been highly successful in this business. And now that cable line, which when we started was a couple of hundred SKUs, is now, depending on which month you ask, it's about 3,500 current SKUs. And we add to it all the time. We, we delete from it as well as technology changes, but, but the entire connectivity product process, which handles hubs and all sorts of connectivity extensions beyond just the cable, has been highly lucrative, and it has a lot of upside to go. So currently we're introducing uh, antimicrobial cables for, you know, in this era of COVID, that's a, that's a, a, a very key focus for a lot of people. I don't want to be handling something that's going to be potentially uh, transmitting the virus. So a whole, and when you say a whole new line, this could be another few thousand SKUs if we antimicrobial entire categories of connectivity products. So it's uh, it's got a lot of upside, a lot of exciting potential for it going forward. But again, it didn't start out that way. How long would you say that it took uh, the sales mindset to kind of change around um, connectivity? I would say it was fully three years, and even then, it was not the level of excitement and focus that it became in the next 10. Uh, I, I actually had a sales manager here who told his people, don't waste your time on those things. We sell power. And we had to, uh, we had to corral him uh, <laughs> to get him on board with the, with the company focus. But it, it came around, and it's done well since then. 
Yeah, I mean, connectivity is more than half of our products these days. So going forward, uh, AAA has grown a lot over the years. Can you speak on how we've grown as far as like employee count and different people that we work with? Well, well, when I came, there were 37 employees, and, and that included uh, a little in-house assembly line, which I think if I say the term Rube Goldberg, um, no one will know what I'm talking about, but this, this is a sort of a uh, funny little assembly line with uh, six or eight uh, elderly women smoking cigarettes, uh, moving these little products down an assembly line, making lights. Um, since then, uh, we... We primarily uh, use contract manufacturers for assembly, uh, so it keeps our headcount much lower. But currently, from 37 employees, there are now uh, somewhere between five and 600, and, and we also have a relationships with certain uh, triplight contractors who are not actual on the payroll employees, but they are they perform the function of an employee on, uh, under a contract basis. But the reason we don't have thousands of employees is because we contract assembly outside of this building. And that's been, that's been a, an approach we've had for 40 years at least, uh, and it's worked well. Uh, going the other way, you can end up with an army of human beings and, and all of the challenges that that entails. We found it's, it's more efficient and more focused to let the experts do their part and, and focus on what we do best in this building, which is designing and marketing and selling our products. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I'm just jumping in here to introduce the Power Up segment. This will give you a brief overview of new products or a quick product discussion. So today, let me tell you a little bit about Triplate's new medical grade charging carts. The spread of germs is a concern everywhere now more than ever, especially in settings with shared mobile devices. These charging stations can be used in any environment where there are shared laptops, Chromebooks, or tablets, including schools, corporate offices, warehouses, restaurants, hotels, retail stores, and senior living facilities. Triplight's hospital-grade charging stations provide that peace of mind. A 99.9% effective antimicrobial coating on the exterior and interior inhibits the growth of bacteria and viruses, and a UV light on the interior helps sanitize these devices. Visit triplight.com today for more information. Now let's get back to Keelan. So I want to take a bit of a turn here. Triplight was founded almost 100 years ago, so I mean, there has to be a lot of unique traditions and stories. Can you tell us about some of your favorite memories? Well, um, we have three traditions that have lasted for my entire career here. Um, one is the summer picnic, uh, which has been going on since about 1980. And uh, I liked it because at the time I was always the first pick in softball. <laughs> uh, at this point, no one would pick me for softball, first or last, and we went from barely getting enough people to put on the field and have a game to round-robin tournaments where we'd have you know six and eight teams trying to play. Over the years, softball as, a, as a, a, an approach has faded. We have far more people interested in volleyball and soccer, and those games happen during the picnic as well. So it's a little different, but... Um, it was a lot of fun. We've had many, many uh, crazy memories in Lincoln Park. We've always been in Lincoln Park. We're a Chicago company. We're very proud of it. The, uh, the owner uh, is a Chicago guy, born and bred, and uh, likes to do things in his hometown. So our picnic now is many, many tents, catered food, and lots of games and fun. There was also a Beer Friday, which 
started uh, with myself, uh, Mike Brennan, who hired me, and a guy named Tony Scott, who ran our shipping and receiving, one guy. Uh, and the three of us would sit around on a Friday with a 12-pack and kick around the week and what we're talking about, or the status of the White Sox and other important issues that, of the day. Uh, it was just three guys and, and you know, shooting the breeze. Um, we still do it. It's every other week. But at this point, um, they come in with skids, uh, pallets full of beer, and, and, and place them out where people can have them. I can tell you that it sounds uh, crazy and decadent, but it, my experience is people have a beer or two and go home. It's Friday. They want to. They want to go home. So it's not this big drinking fest. It's just a funny thing that we still do it when most companies don't. Uh, my wife worked for a very large company after she left Triplight, and uh, all of our casual, friendly traditions are things that they were just were not able to do as a large public entity. Uh, lastly, is the, the Christmas party, or we now call it uh, the holiday party, uh, to be politically correct, uh, and that too. Started out, we would go to a fancy restaurant, and the men would wear ties and jackets, and the girls would wear nice dresses. In those days, uh, I would order corsages for the women, which were, you know, it was a, it was a, a dozen of them or so, and we the, the guys would give the girls a corsage for Christmas, and, and the thing would happen from there. Now, well, obviously, we don't do corsages, but uh, we now use the... Uh, the stadium club at at, uh, at Sox Park, and uh, it we feed everybody, and then there's uh, actually dancing, not a ton of dancing, but drinking and, and merriment generally, and it's uh, it's quite a party. Again, everyone still does semi formal, it, you know, it's not super formal, but we dress up, and uh, it adds a, a level of uh, festivity to it at all. That uh, I don't know, we're all everybody loves that. The other thing that comes from it is that some years ago we started creating a, a sort of a year-in-review video that we would show to everybody. Uh, in those days, I would um, drive the creation of that. Now we have much more talented people uh, using much better equipment, and they create this whole thing, and some of them are just priceless. There's generally lampooning of the management. Uh, there's videos of different events we have here, Bring Your Child to Work Day or the Halloween Party or any of these things. And we everybody likes to see it, and I think everybody likes to see themselves. So you watch the video closely to see, that's there's, there's me and my guys. And, and so it's, it's, a, uh, it's a great way to build camaraderie and, and have some fun. Um, we, again, lots of companies have gone away from these because there's a certain liability involved in bringing people together, but we... We provide rides home, cab coupons. We keep an eye on our partners and, and uh, our coworkers to see that everybody is in control and, and not, not doing anything risky. And it's been working for, well, since 1980. So a, a great tradition that I enjoy a lot. The video was one of my favorite parts of the, hol the holiday party. Um, when did that first start? Like, how many years have they been doing uh, that? I... I, my memory is uh, is tough here. I would say it's been minimally 20 years, probably 25. I can tell you a data point I have is that um, when we first moved into this building we're in now, which was the former Spiegel Complex, the Spiegel Giant Catalog House in Chicago, uh, home of catalogs, Sears, Pennies, uh, Montgomery Ward, and Spiegel were all located here at one time. Um we did a 
we, we did a video where I played a character. So earlier in the week, I came out in a suit and went down to Sox Park and videoed myself in the park going through the various parts of the stadium and the, the White Sox are very accommodating. They said, I can go anywhere I want, just don't step on the grass. This is winter. Um, so they, we got to the, we got to the party. I was out to make a speech, just, it's been a good year, we're glad you're all here, and so forth. And then I said, oh, I've forgotten something, and I run back into a, a room. And in that room, I'm getting changed, but you can't tell that. They <laughs> cut to a video of me running down 35th Street, back to Triplight, up to my office, grabbing a, a, a outfit off the back of my door, and running down the street, stopping at Mori O'Malley's to have a hot dog, and a lot of <laughs> shtick that went with this, all sort of uh, willing suspension of disbelief that I'm actually doing that. In the meantime, I'm in a closet at, at Comiskey Park getting changed into a baseball uniform with a Triplight logo on the back. I now come out and say, oh, and anyway, it was, it was just comical, but I will tell you that was before the Sox won the World Series in 2005, so it had to be at least 20 years ago and, and maybe longer. Uh, I, I can't tell you the exact date this started, but it's been at least that long. And they tend to get better and better, by the way. Do you still have the baseball uniform? <laughs> yes, but when I got it, I looked like a player. Now I look like a coach. <laughs> it's a little tight in the waist. <laughs> Were there any other uh, traditions that you wanted to talk about? No, I, I just would say that I've spent virtually my entire adult life here. Uh, you met my wife, and I... Uh, I've had members of my family have done summer work and, and other things, and uh, you know the, I'm still very close to uh, Barry side and Mike Brennan, and uh, I care about them deeply. And, and you know, as I am now my age, they were middle-aged guys when I started, and they're much older now. So as that's how those things go. So it's been um, it's been more than my job. It's been more than my career. It's been my life, and I, you know, I've enjoyed it tremendously. The people here have been great, and uh, it's been a challenge and fun and successful. Well, with that being said, I want to thank you for coming to the Spotlight Podcast, and thank you for sharing your stories. It was really fun to hear all of those, and um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bailey. I hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. I want to take the time again to thank Keelan for being our first episode guest and for all of you listening. Tune in every month for a new episode of Spotlight. Mm -hmm.